we're speaking with Zuzu Mansour today from Soraya um, on our ne next episode. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks. How about yourself? Yeah. Yep. Uh, a little rattled this morning for some reason, but other than that, I'm fine. Yeah, uh, I get it. <laughs> um, you're in Philadelphia still, right? Actually, I'm in South Jersey now, but I was South in Jersey. Philadelphia. Yes. Okay. Whereabouts in South Jersey? Um, it's more like kind of like Pittman. It's Gloucester County area. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just moved here last October. Okay. Why, yeah. why the move from Philly? I made the realization that my whole life I've lived in Philly and I've driven the same streets and I've seen the same things and I've traveled so much that I know when I jump into a different area I've never been, like my brain just comes alive. So I moved here. I've never, I have no knowledge of it. I have no no preconceived notions, just moved here and it's a lot of farm areas. It's really nice. So it's okay. good. Did you, I mean, because I mean, as a musician, you know, I, I would imagine that's, that's difficult. You know, you're leaving behind friends and I'm, I'm guessing the band probably still lives in the Philly area. Actually, oddly enough, uh, one of the band members lives in Philly and the other three of us live in Jersey. So, okay. Yeah. Well, I We've guess it's located better. a bit, but um, it's all like in the past year, honestly. It's so weird. Yeah. yeah um, we replaced our guitar player and he lives in Jersey, but he's from Philly as well. We're all from uh, Philly. So yeah, yeah. three of us in Jersey, one of us in Philly still. Okay. All yeah. right. How do you, so you've enjoyed it? Enjoyed the move? I have. Eventually, I'd like to move to New York City, but I'm good here for now. Yeah, that's that's a quite an undertaking. Um, doing some quick uh, apartment searches over the last year, I I, I noticed it's not not exactly cheap. Yeah, no. And, and and considering you know the way things are right now, too, moving is also completely out of the question. Yeah, it's just it's just adding stress onto things. But yeah. I'm happy where I am. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, you're well, not to inter interview you, but where are you? What area? Uh, you oh, I'm uh, outside of Chicago. Oh, cool. I love Chicago. Yeah. So yeah, it's cool. It's, okay. you know, I've thought about making a move myself, but it, it's, it's the only place I've known. So I don't know. I don't know where I would go. Um, you know, and as the years creep on, it gets a little stranger to move out of this, uh, you know, move somewhere and start your whole life over again. Yeah. Almost 50. So. Oh, <laughs> so it's good. it just seems a little stranger to uproot myself. Um, but I, I've considered it. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, so the the new album came out earlier this year. Yeah, and you guys are are a pretty hardcore touring band. I have to imagine that this has affected you in a in a probably in a in not the way that you were hoping for. Yeah, I mean, um, because our album came out in March, we started, usually in January, February, we spend writing. That's kind of like, we are in a groove now of what we do with different months of the year. And January and February are, are writing months or studio months for us um, to go in and record whatever we've been write, writing since summer. Um, but this year we had it come out Friday the 13th of March, which was the Tuesday before that was when COVID-19 was um, announced as a global pandemic. And we were already on tour at that point. And we, but we started touring in January. So we did like weekend tours in different areas of the country. And then we went full throttle out to West Coast tour early March. And I remember we did this March 6th gig at this place we play a lot at, in, uh, in LA called Red, the Redwood. And it was mobbed, I mean mobbed, it was a big show. And I remember like hearing about COVID at that point, but not it really not being like within a week, it was the biggest concern on the planet. But before yeah. that, it was, that was the Friday before our release. And um, it just seemed pretty normal. Um, by that Wednesday was when NBA announced the season was off. And then by the next morning, everything, you know, was Round starting to fall. It affected us in a way that was odd, honestly. Like our touring had to stop, which is hard for us because we tour, but we had yeah. something to promote. So we were kind of in a unique position in a really good way too, because we just had a new record release. We couldn't tour behind it, but we figured we can do a lot of things otherwise. And we did, we did a lot of radio, a lot of interviews, a lot of 
we sold well. We had a lot more listeners on Spotify and, and streaming outlets like that than we would have had, got added to a lot more playlists. And I think that was partially, you know, a new record and maturing as a band, but also because of what was going on in the country and in the world is more people could listen and share and were receptive to the arts, I think a little more, especially in the beginning months. I don't yeah. know. I feel like people were watching more movies and TV and also listening to more music and more yeah. open to it. So it had its setbacks, but it also had its advantages. You know. Yeah, and and since then, all you guys have done. Uh, at, at, I mean, how many live stream shows have you done? Um, not many. We we couldn't meet up with Travis, who's uh, our main, my main co-writer, um, who's who li it lives in Philly. Um, mm -hmm. He lives with someone who's at risk, and uh, so we didn't start rehearsing again till May. And right after we did we were offered a lot of things and we did a, um, a lot of pre-recorded things from our rehearsal space um, for just, you know, radio stations and uh, festivals. And then we did um, two of our own, one acoustic in June and one we just did last week, full band. And then we did one with the Bowery Electric in July. So we did like one a month since June, I guess. Okay. Um, so not many, only because, um, We've been writing a lot and rehearsing yeah. a lot of the new songs, but also I, we've tried to stay connected in other ways uh, through Facebook Lives, like I'm um, going to do some Zoom stuff coming up, just ways to stay connected with the fans, because what I find is that's what they really want. They want the music too, but I think they want the connection more than anything else. I think we all do. So I'm just trying to like kind of feel out what they want and um, what I'm capable of and what we're capable of and respond in, in like okay all right yeah i know that some people have been doing um more frequent stuff like uh your label mate jesse mallon um has been doing weekly stuff from the bowery electric yeah um, which has been pretty cool to watch um but yeah it's it's a it's still a new thing you know i, mean, I don't think anybody's got a real handle on on doing more people are doing it but you know i think even metallica did like a live stream yeah um you know but I, so people are venturing into it but it's it's not exactly it's not exactly road tested so to speak yet and it hasn't been fully fleshed out but it, it might be the thing that like certain clubs in certain cities might have to you know start considering like just you know inviting people in every couple of days or something maybe to do some sort of live stream of artists in each you know wherever city they live in but you know in your case you know that with your like your band and some others it's probably a little more difficult to just get everybody together if everybody's not in the same you know uh you know basic area yeah i think it's it, now that we're together it's good we're safe we we you know mask we socially distance we just were in the studio so we all got covid tested before we went in and we all wore masks and it was actually fine like it was it was uncomfortable a little bit because it, you know but as you're working together you're kind of like getting closer anyway just by nature but you're being safe yeah. so i think we've all navigated it well i think one of the things i'm seeing like when you mentioned jesse mallon jesse's you know the bowery electric gig we did was was part of the save our stages you know jesse's uh club bowery electric yeah. uh he's one of the owners and they set up an amazing like 10 camera shoot where it's like you're seeing different angles all the time. It's not one steady cam. Right. And the sound was immaculate. We had a guy like running our sound, but he was also running the internet sound. And everybody that saw it were, was just saying that's the best thing we've seen since live stream started. So Jesse's got, got the understanding of the technical aspect of it. And after that, it was difficult for us to even go like, we're not gonna do that quality we just did yeah. that quality it's going to be hard <laughs> but also i think it's really important now that like we may lose our home our home clubs and we don't want to do that we want somewhere to go right. back so i think if anything at the time where whether you know these clubs it's a good idea they do live streams and that the bands partner with them and that they promote like never before you know and right. it's successful when you do when you treat it like a normal show it's not going to happen because you don't have that one-on-one -on -one experience it was a little difficult to get that energy up to do it because there was no live audience feeding it back, you know? But I knew who was on the other side. I think ultimately um, we're just all, I think every band is doing what they're capable of doing at this point for their yeah. band. 
when in their yeah. situations, which is all different. So yeah. it's a struggle, but it's it's a necessary. It's going to be through the fall at this point. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Looking at the way things are, I don't know for anything how you know how when every everything can go back. I mean, movie theaters, except for New York and and mo most of California, have opened, but I box office even at the limited, you know, uh, admission still isn't what it would be if everybody was able, everybody went out for that limited seating, you know, it's like, I, I think people are still really worried despite, you know, a lot of things being done. And I know some people have been doing outdoor concerts and I the local H I knew did a drive-in concert yeah. semi-recently. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there, there are options, but we're also now getting into most of the country being in winter conditions so that the outdoor concerts become completely, you know, not, not happening. I don't know. I mean, I really, it would like, it would be nice to see somebody kind of, you know, I, like, in this, like in this day and age, we need, um, Oh, what was his name? The guy from, uh, uh, San Francisco, the, the acclaimed promoter. Oh, I forget. Uh, from the sixties. Yeah. Oh, uh, I know what you're talking about. I can see the, the Bill Graham. Yes. Yes. Something Graham. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Was it Bill Graham? I, it might be Bob. I don't know. I, I I can't believe I can't think of his name. But I can't think of it either. <laughs> we need somebody like that to kind of like you know take the reins and and really put something together and, and yeah. you know I mean guys so far Jesse's has got in my opinion the best setup. He really uh, does. And I think I think you know we need more of that for artists to you know to really get out there and and be able to perform and for some of it to go to the club too. I mean, you know, obviously the, uh, what we really need is government assistance for all of it, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. That's, that's a whole other topic, but I yeah. do think what you said with Jesse, I, what I appreciate is that he's going over and above to keep, keep his venues open, but also, you know, he's, he's trying to help his, his artists, you know what I mean? Yeah. That was really helpful to us, and it also helped our fans have a good experience. Everybody left yeah. that happier. And if anything, yeah. I feel like what everybody needs is that. Because what I'm seeing is uh, when people do go out, they're very, they're scared. You know what I mean? Like there's a definite, I don't know what people are going to call it when this is over, or what, if they have a name for it now, but people are scared to um, their first time going out, their first time going to a show. It's going to, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to take time. But when you said about the box offices, I mean, we all want this sense of normalcy, right? We want to go back yeah. to, like, I would, I would love to go to a movie right now. And I know what I need to feel safe. And I know some theaters aren't doing that. So I'm not going yeah. to theaters. You know what I mean? It's a hard time for those businesses because the country is very divided on, on topics that are really science related. And it's a shame because... Yeah. It's hurting, it's it's really hurting the arts. Like the, we can't have shows, big shows until something changes. Like and right. I think people forget that when they're thinking just of themselves or their convenience is is like, it's, it's really, uh, this pandemic has made people have to be considerate of others. And if they're, and has shown when they're not considerate of others. Yeah, absolutely. Think, you know, you can get mad at it or like I would get mad at it now. I'm just like, you know what? It's really just shown me who people are and that's okay. Yeah. And it showed me who I am, which is really important because I can only affect the sphere of influence in my realm, right? It will all right. affect the people that are closest to us. Um, and it's definitely changed me. And I have to say uh, for the better, you know, yeah. I know who yeah. I am, I know what I stand for. And I know, you know, I just know that uh, what's right, you know, and what's good for humanity and, and kind of been more kind of plugged into that more interested in helping others than I've been in the past more time for it too yeah. um, there's a lot of less fortunate people than us I mean we're sitting here without COVID-19 right now so we're doing right, <laughs> right. yeah and you know we we each have so you know someplace to live and you know we have we have the ability to be on the internet talking to each other and yeah it's it a lot of that's really brought I mean because yeah it's it's a sad state of affairs what's going on right now in general. This has um, been one of the toughest years. I, I, somebody like put said it was like the plague of 1918 with the um, 
the uh, kind of the horror of the uprising and the the the, the, the you know uh, demonstrations of the sixty of sixty nine and you know throw in a few other things you know a few other monumental aspects of the past in the one year and it's like it's 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 no wonder we're all you know upset or depressed or you know you know just trying to figure out a way to hang on you know yeah 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 and i think whatever your motivating factor is whether it be fear or love and that's not to be like too spiritual or anything but it really comes down to that you know uh when i'm afraid and i'm worried i'm easier to anger and easier to judgment and then I feel kind of isolated and alone. And then when I'm more like, we're all in this together, no matter what our thoughts or feelings about things, we're all going through it. Nobody's yeah. exempt from it. It's kind of unifying in that way, you know? So, uh, and I think everything, like, maybe I'm like a hopeless romantic in that sense, but I think everything that's happening, even the tragic aspects will lead to like I, I really studied the 1918, the pandemic in 1918. So I was just like, what's it gonna be? Like what happened after? Like when was it resolved? Like just to get some perception of what's, you know, I mean, that's a um, hundred years ago, but still um, how did that resolve with less resources and less knowledge and less scientific advancements? Like how did that resolve? And that whole flapper period came after it. Like there was yeah. like snapping back of the rubber band. Like it was like, you can only pull it so far before it snaps back and it launches. So I always think when I get to, I try to stay in the day. Yeah. When I can't, I just try to go like, at the end of this, it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like- Yeah, like a, like a, like a new renaissance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean- that's, I, that's the one hope I've had from it, you know, is that uh, spiritual, uh, cultural artistic and social social renaissance after this is what i'm i'm hoping for um, yeah we need it we need a giant sage tree to burn and spread over the country basically we do that's a good idea actually yeah. just, <laughs> just burn sage everywhere just, <laughs> now i want to burn it, sage i just <laughs> like yeah just because it's like the only i i don't know i mean it, we've got two Point whatever more no three point whatever months left in this year and I I tell you I don't think there's gonna there's ever been a year people will want to say goodbye to more than this one agreed and there was big hopes for 2020 for this one so yeah 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 yo in 2019 we're like oh there's 2020 is the year yeah, it's yeah. happened <laughs> all of it and I thought, it I thought 2019 sucked <laughs> so 2019 was just January yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You are not wrong, my friend. I know, and it's just like it's one—you know—it's one constant kick in the crutch after another, and, and especially what happened—you know—on Friday with the news of of Ginsburg dying. It was like it, that's for me. That's so far the worst news of the year. The pandemic takes place second because you know, I don't know. I don't know how political political you are, but I'm. I try not to be in interviews, but it's just like that, that one's too fresh for me. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard not to sway that way with what's going on in our country. It's really yeah. hard not to. And I've had to, I've gotten so angry that I've had to really take a look at myself and like, what makes me that angry? And I was like, okay, I have, again, I have my small sphere of influence. I can't change the yeah. world, change a few lives for sure. And that is what I can do. And I think to myself, like, um, with Ginsburg dying, what it did for me was made me revisit a lot of what she accomplished because it's yeah. been in the news so much. And there was a big obituary. It's in the New York Post this morning. Uh, I get the everyday update from New York Post and CNN. <laughs> yeah. And the New York Post was talking about, uh, you got to read this obituary on uh, Ruth's life. And I started reading it. And I'm like, my God, like that woman had no influence when she started all this. Like there was no out, like it wasn't like she was a Supreme Court justice. She was just a woman who came out of college with great grades and couldn't get a job in her field. Yeah. And, and the way she fought, there was a, I forget the name of the case where it wasn't just, you know, a lot for unemployment and, and women who've been unemployed, but also men who've taken care of their moms or dads who weren't getting the same benefits that women were. So it's like, you know, this one person affected so much it just makes me go like, you know, I was genuinely sad. And also like, 
oddly honored that I was around when she died. I don't know if that sounds weird. It probably does. But um, I'm just glad to be alive in this time when a woman like that has made such a mark over decades and decades. Anyone yeah. that she hasn't is straight up crazy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? for sure. For so, sure. if I were to say about her, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it's just that that one shook me because it's like I, I knew how important it was for her to be here until next year. You know, and I know how how things go, but without getting too too much into a dive and in that nonsense, I mean, I'm usually pretty good with keeping stuff that stuff at bay. But that one just because it's it, it feels raw at the moment. There's really a good article this morning in New York Post about what it means because um, I think you're talking about replacing them the Supreme Court before yeah. the election, and they they go into a detailed description of what it means, and it really was helpful to me. Because I knew what it meant, but then reading that, it made it based on history and what's happened, it kind of made me feel a little differently in terms of um, what needs to happen for there not to be an appointment. And then if there is an appointment, what that means as well. Um, yeah. But I feel like, you know, the one thing we can say about politics that's not to whatever um, is, whatever the word might be anymore, but is, is that, you know, this is a key election and people need to vote. And yeah, yeah. That's the big, that's the big thing. And I feel like I have noticed on both sides because I've tried to be understanding of friends who don't think like I think. Um, and I've been amazingly understanding when I feel so strongly, but I, um, I think there are, people are a lot more um, knowledgeable about what is important to them. If not yeah. about what the actual facts are, they're at least knowledgeable about what's important to them, which yeah. is, step in my mind like you know what i mean most people during elections that i talk to don't really care very much yeah yeah i i think this is one where a lot of people care about it yeah which is a good uh, thing yeah Ultimately. definitely yeah everybody should vote anybody who watches this should go vote, vote. it doesn't matter just, just vote Please something vote. we all should be doing Please. uh <laughs> well to get off of, of, of that um well can, describe a bit about um how your band has gone through changes uh since its inception and and where where you feel you started to where you feel you are now as a band well i know i've since i was little i always wanted to be a part of a group i wanted that idea like i i talk a lot about this book the outsiders i read as a kid mm -hmm. um who i always felt like an underdog but i always felt like if you had pals that were kind of like loved you for who you were with all your good and bad that you know you could get through anything like a family you know and a loyalty and uh like i'll be there no matter what kind of thing so i always had that vibe with friendships with growing up and you know i knew by sophomore year of high school i wanted to be in a touring band like i knew it like we'd go to play nursing homes and i'd be like this is what i want to do for a living you know and uh from the inception, I mean, I, I honestly, it started very innocently. Like I wanted to sing songs at open mics. Like I didn't have an aspiration to anything. I, I just wanted to sing and, uh, and I wanted to sing well, like right away. And I wanted to learn to song, right? Because somebody had told me that to be a great singer, you have to sing words that mean something to you. And, and which means ultimately you're going to have to write your own material. And uh, that just was something I accepted as truth. Uh, and I started doing that. And so I started like pretty humble beginnings. And then I started to want to have a band and play out and play to people and have that interaction. And from the first time I did, um, one of our first gigs ever was right before CBGB's closed in 2006. And I'll never forget it. It was the thing that kind of launched me into wanting to do it. I, I stood on a stage to Patti Smith and uh, the Ramones and Joan Jett and New York Dolls and like all the, the bands that, you know, came before me that had such a, you know, rawness to them and made me yeah. feel alive watching their videos and stuff. I just felt like this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do with my life. I don't care if I'm broke or I'm rich. This is what I want to do. And uh, so I pursued it pretty heavily. But, you know, we learned. We, we, I brought our first recording to a friend of mine. He said, you need a producer. I started working with a producer. Uh, that was a big learning experience. And, and we've gone through a million bandmates. Travis Smith, who's my co-writer, 
uh, my main co-writer is is because I've written with other people, but our, I think I feel like we have a great we're really good at it. We're good mm -hmm. at it and we love doing it together. So it's just I could never uh, imagine Soraya without him, but um, he's been in it with me since the get go. He's the only one. Everybody else has changed in the, the past uh, three years, four years. We've had the same core. Uh, drummer, bass, and me, and then the guitarist just changed. We had him for four years, and he got married and wanted to kind of have a more sedentary, <laughs> stable livelihood in life. And so we uh, got on Nick Seditious, who's our new guitarist for a year now, and he's been great. We just recorded with him. He was amazing. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so it's changed member-wise, but if anything, it's grown in wisdom. It's grown in what I've wanted to accomplish. Um, I've been on huge stages. I've been on small stages. I've played to like two people. I've played to 25,000 is probably the most we've played to. And uh, I can do either. And I love them both. I tend to like 1,000 to 1,200 seat places, <laughs> seat places a lot more because yeah. there's intimacy. So I've, I've learned about myself as an artist and what I'm comfortable doing and what I feel comfortable in, like what setting. Um, yeah. I've worked with some of my heroes, like writing wise, um, performance wise. Um, I've learned a lot that partnering with other artists is important. Um, helping other artists that don't know as much as you yet is important. Yeah. It reconnects you with why you started. And I, I think if you're not aspiring in being more honest and growing as a songwriter, and as a performer and learning in the studio, then it becomes mundane and routine and boring. And um, doesn't matter what level of success you have, unless you're continuing to grow as an artist, it's, you know, I, my, my happiest moments are when I'm growing, when I'm in the studio, when I'm writing, when we write something, I have like a powerful writing experience, you know? So my joys have changed from the beginning to now. Like my joy was just in getting, getting a show. <laughs> And playing yeah. to anybody or playing to no one. I didn't care. Like, I just wanted to play. And now my joys are in accomplishments and songwriting um, and personal more than outward validation, but outward validation is nice. Um, yeah. Interacting with fans and friends is something I absolutely thrive on. I've learned, and that wasn't a thing in the beginning. And um, working with people that, not only have a love and passion for what they do, but are inspired and inspiring to work with is mm -hmm. so important. And I wouldn't have cared in the beginning. I'd be like, just put new person in that spot, you know? Yeah. Uh, it keeps you kind of on your toes in terms of wanting more for yourself and following a path that leads you to what you want next, you know? Like the next step in what else, what do I grab next to get up the mountain kind of thing? So. Yeah. What, what, what would you say would be next, um, you know, your next kind of goal or desire for the band? Um, I think when we go back out, I definitely want to play shows, maybe not, not, not tour, not, not tour as much, but tour in, um, with a little more focus. I feel like we were in a routine of, this is where we play, this is where we go. And if people show up, great. If they don't, no big deal. It's a show is a show. And I think I, I become more interested in getting music, quality music out. Um, I, I want to play bigger, bigger rooms for sure. Mm -hmm. I feel like we've gotten to that place where that's not just um, something a wish, but a reality. So I want to focus on partnering with um, more agents that uh, want more than just to fill a hole. I guess is what you know what I mean. Yeah. Schedule. Um, I want to work with other artists um, in terms of like other other singers. Like I, I want to do more partnering with other singers, our whole band. Just to, we've we've done a couple during this quarantine, and I've loved it, and the bands okay. loved it. So I want to do more of that. I want to be open to that, um, and just continue to write and put out the best music we can, and keep working as as a as a group uh, in a collaborative and um, a way that is inspiring to all of us. I think, uh, you know, next up is we, we just finished recording a single in B-side. We have to actually go back in tomorrow, but I want to record an album. I want to get this album finished being written. I want to record it. And um, 
you know, I just want to, you know, keep building, just building, exposing the music to more and more people. I'm right. partnering with artists that, that want that same thing. And, and, and no, I, I also really enjoy, not to like continue talking forever, but. No, you're good. I really enjoy like, when little Steven came into my life, he's, he's our label head and he's also mm. produced us. He's written with me and he's written for the band. And um, when he came in, it was so inspiring and I learned so much. Like I love that kind of mentoring um, situation. And I feel like I, I keep wanting to have those too. Like not right. every day, obviously, but every few years I'd like to meet another artist who wants to like collaborate, mentor and grow in, in an artistic way. Yeah. And, the artistic ways i'm like a lifelong learner kind of person like i like well, i think that's i think that's important i think uh it, if you stop searching maybe you know maybe you're not reading a new book every week or whatever but you know if you stop searching for something new like um you know like during this quarantine for example i found i rediscovered a love for baseball because it was something positive you know, and it was something new to watch every time. And there was suspense and there was positive, especially with the, my team. I follow the, the White Sox and they're doing like a, amazing this year. So it's like, it's just like real, real intensely positive thing or, you know, getting into jazz late in life or, you know, there's always something that new that you can find, you know, to grow your spirit and grow your creativity, I think. And I think that's what you're trying to get at to, to some yeah. degree. Yeah, I think like you have to remain that like kid where anything's yeah. possible and everything's exciting and everything's a surprise. Like yeah. if we can maintain that well into our, you know, last few years of life, then we've had a pretty successful life, right? Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. I think, I think once you re think you've learned everything, you're, I don't think that's a good sign. You know, I, I think there's always something new that can you know, pique your, your interest and, 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 uh, let your brain and heart follow, you know? Yeah. Like when you were saying about baseball, like when you said re you refound it, like when was yeah. that, when had you left it? Like probably when I was, uh, before high school. See, so was, like that, you know, yeah, that's exciting. That sounds yeah. exciting to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. Cause it's like, I, I, I thought I was going to be a baseball player that I thought I was going to be a musician. I was a drummer for a long time that I thought I was going to be a filmmaker. And then my life really went in a different way. So I've been writing about, you know, everything for the last 20 years, but uh, I'm actually trying to write a script and finish one. So, you know, just trying to take advantage of the time I have left in this world, you know, essentially. Yeah. I mean, that's every day is a new, there's like a thing I actually have, which probably seems religious, but it's not. It's enjoyable. I can't even see it. It says Maybe enjoy the miracle it. of every day, every new day. It's like yeah. every day, the other one's dead. Move on to the next one. Right, right. Yeah. There, there was a lot. I mean, I, not to get too far into myself, but there, a lot of this is stemmed from getting divorced uh, five years ago, you know. So it's like I kind of had to concentrate just on myself instead of worrying about uh, how my life affected someone else's you know and um so that that's taken a lot of growth i guess you know to get to yeah i think out of our our biggest losses comes our biggest growth it's like it's inevitable that's one yeah. thing you can always because if you don't you know you're just i mean you might as well be dead i think yeah. <laughs> i mean because there's no point well you mentioned you you touched on little steven and i am in fact, this is how I came to know you. I am a huge fan of his Sirius XM channel. And that's how I, you know, I, whenever you guys are on, I, whenever you're on a coolest new song, I'm like, I know this is going to be good. You know, <laughs> oh, I'm, you. I'm at that point. And it's like, you know, because some, I, I was talking to an, um, another label mate of yours um, the other day, and I liked her new single too. And I said, you know, I told her, I said, there's sometimes I, I don't like the coolest song of the week. You know, it's like, Normal. I don't want to hear it 85 times in a week, you know? Yes. So, you know, but if it's a Soraya song, I'm like, I'm there, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, yes. honestly, being an older guy that used to write about the music scene in, and at some point didn't think that would ever happen, but I fell out of, you know, new music. You're probably my favorite new band. 
Wow, thank you. Yeah, so I mean, really, just the, well, because you're you guys are you guys seem fresh, but you also harken back to to eras I like, but you know, and you're you're tough too in a, in a, in a melodic way, which I I love. I mean, I was a you know, I was a as a kid, I was a huge Joan Jett fan, and not to paint you in a corner or anything, but I mean, you know, you guys kind of have that 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 similarity in terms of tough and melodic, you know. Yeah, well, we tour with her, we play with her a lot, so yeah, she's one of my heroes. Awesome. So she she influenced me, and and Stephen's been influential in that. Like he connected us, and um, you know, she's she's to me the warrior example of uh, if there wasn't her again. We talked we brought talked about uh, Ruth Ginsburg at the beginning of this. Yeah. If there wasn't a Joan Jett, there certainly would not be a Soraya. Right. Absolutely not. And and you know. And for for that matter, like if there wasn't, you know, Steven, if there wasn't a White Stripes, if there wasn't a Heart, you know, there's so many bands that yeah. the women though made me know I could do it and that I, I didn't feel, I always felt different, um, but I embraced it um, because of seeing what they did. You know what I yeah. mean? And I, I'll never forget before the first show when we opened for, which was a couple of years ago now, 18, October of 18 was the first time we opened for her and I watched the bad reputation documentary the night before and I was like yeah. oh man <laughs> this woman and she's been around since the 70s like yeah I mean who's lasted that like I mean other bands have lasted that long but like that every day well, it's just she's grown and she but at yeah. the same time she's staying true to who she is she's just amazing i can't say enough about her I'll no i know and i i saw her on i only went to one warp tour but it was one where uh helmet reunited i think and then she was on it and man i mean it was a, it was a little while ago now but st still considering i grew up on her you know as a solo artist um you know i thought she was just she was tougher than most of the bands on the Warp Tour, I thought, you know, and I was like, this is awesome to see her just, just rocking out, you know, and, and that documentary made me remember how much of a crush I had on her as a kid, yeah. too. Like, yeah, yeah, I had a real, and I was only like 10 when, like, uh, she, you know, broke out, so I was like, yeah, it was pretty early to have a, have a solid crush on somebody. <laughs> it's hard not to. She, honestly, um, she, what was I going to say about her? I heard her voice and I was like, I, and I said this to her and I thought as I was saying it, cause I've never been intimidated by, I've met a lot of people and what I do, yeah. but also just, you know, when I go to concerts and stuff, I've met a lot of artists. No one ever intimidated me. Like she, like I saw her, I walked down the hallway, I saw her and I ran back in the room and uh, her Meryl Laguna, who's um, married to Kenny, they, they helped her. And with Black Heart Records, their Black Heart Records. She said, yeah. get out here, you know, come meet Joan. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> she's a smaller person, but I was yeah. terrified, terrified. But I, the first thing I said to her was, um, you saved my life, um, which isn't too much to say to a person. And also I said to her, um, I heard your voice. And as soon as I heard your voice, I was like, what is that? Like, <laughs> I was like, maybe that didn't come out right. I meant like, what is that in a good way? Like, it was, yeah, yeah so unique so different and you can hear that passion like i think michael jackson had that when i hear his songs too i hear that spit you know what i mean it's like a spit but it's melody and it's tough but it's vulnerable it's like that two pronged artist thing i yeah. feel like chris cornell had that too like there's certain artists that i think of when i think of that that they're they they were tough but they are also really vulnerable and they showed it in their songs like crimson and clover versus you know i love rock and roll one of the biggest songs of all time, but yeah. you know, with Soundgarden is like, or Chris Cornell, when I heard, you know, him cover, it's a song he covered Patience by Guns N' Roses. I heard that for the first time the other night. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. God, the diversity. Elvis was yeah. like that. I could end up talking forever. You should. No, start. I get that. No, and I could too. I, you know, it's interesting. You're like the second person to bring up Cornell and, um, I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a huge huge so I liked Soundgarden a lot and I liked Chris's uh, stuff. Um, I got to see them play at Lollapalooza when they reunite, which was cool. But I got the chance to talk to him once, and that's one of those things. It's like I, I would say that's probably a top ten conversation I had because I I don't get to talk to people you know in my career. I haven't been able to talk to people quite that big. You know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, and yeah. so being able to 
was a, a really real big experience and he was just a sweet guy and um you know sometimes i think about people and it's like you know damn i just wish they could have hung around a little longer you know yeah uh, but uh and you know they just people have have a lot that they deal with that they don't reveal to others and you know, I think that's one thing as as a society we're starting to kind of grow on where that you, you know, getting help is not a negative thing. No, absolutely not. You know, I come from a, an addiction. I had a very addictive past. I was homeless um, at 18. And I think like, you know, most people probably wouldn't know that unless I told them that. So why don't the people that are there now deserve a shot? when they can turn their lives around and be something um, that serves the community. You know, I think it's, I think as humans, we just want to like judge and put people in boxes because it, it makes it easier for us to cope with things. Yeah. You know? But I think every person, especially now can like search their heart and find something that speaks to them. For me, it's homelessness, you know, um, the homeless. I, um, there's a lot of mental illness, um, with people who are homeless and there's a lot of just being forgotten and being judged. And I feel like, you know, anybody could be there in a second, you know what I mean? So that speaks to my heart. Um, and there's always causes that speak to other people's hearts, but there's always something to get involved in that yeah. can help other people, you know what I mean? Cause people do, you know, that's the biggest disease I think is like, we have this idea that we have to be perfect. So we isolate or we don't tell people what's really going on. Yeah. Think we're perfect and none yeah. of us are you know none of us so. no that's for sure and you know and that's the problem that's a problem with a certain aspect of media um especially the beginning of the century there was that that first decade and following into the last one was a real um perfection decade you have to look like this you have to be such and such a size and yep. You have to be rich you know everybody's got to be rich everybody's got to drive in you know the biggest car and and this this uh idolism this you know this whole pursuit of of uh uh monetary things over emotional and and you know uh things and it's i think we're starting to get to the point where we're starting to get to the point where we need to reject that and and find something else you know that's real yeah. Uh, and hopefully, you know, the next 40, 50 years is a path to everyone coming, you know, coming together in a better way because we can't, it's obvious we can't keep going on, on like this That's as right. a country, especially. Yeah. Sorry for going on a little rant there. No, I liked it. I, this is my, my kind of interview. So, <laughs> yeah, they, these are my interviews. My interviews are never, my interviews are never so what made you record this song? You know, it's like, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that deep. I'm not that like a uh, statistic. And, and, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't want to ask every question that everybody's asked. You know, I want to, I want to go down a weird alleyway and see what's on the other side, you know? Yeah. That's a good metaphor. I like it. Yeah. That, Cause it's, it's the only, it's the way my mind thinks. And I just figure that everybody else does the same kind of interview. So yeah. You know, let's just kind of, you know, I read, I read about everybody, but I mean, pretty much once I start talking to somebody, I forget everything I read about anyway. So <laughs> it doesn't matter. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Staying in the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of people I like as, as interviewers. Um, one of my favorites is an odd one and I haven't listened to him in a while, but my probably one of my favorite interviews was always Howard Stern because he would was able to ask people questions, and he was a little more point. He's always more pointed, but he's able to ask people questions that definitely nobody's you know ever going to ask. But he's with um, he's big in therapy, so he's been he started to ask at some point personal probing you know questions and asking you know like. Well, what what was the thought process behind that, or what was your emotional instinct there? You know, it was like it's almost like he's become a therapist and interviewer in a way. God, I want to watch a Howard Stern interview. <laughs> yeah, he's done a lot over the years. He's done a lot more um, interviewing over the years. So ever since he was on America's Got Talent, he's become more of a, uh, uh, a comfortable 
place to go for celebrities. It used to just oh. be porn stars. <laughs> but, you know, now, it, now it's everybody. Yeah. I think he had Hillary Clinton in there too at some point, which is, oh. I'm mean, thinking about Howard Stern in your head from the shock jock era and that you would never see Hillary Clinton in that studio, but yeah. It's funny, it's funny you brought him up because I, I think, was it Amazon? I was always on something the other day and I saw Private Parts was on. I was like, I should rewatch that movie. Yeah. I've seen that movie. That's a fun movie. That's oh, such man. a fun movie. It's so good just how he got there. And, and what's the guy's name that plays his boss? He's really- Paul Giamatti. Yeah, he's so good. That was his like big breakout role. He wouldn't have, I don't think he would have had the career he had if he wasn't in that movie. He was great in that movie. He yeah. was cast so perfectly for that role. Yeah, yeah I had read the book too. So it's like when he came on screen, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the guy. That's the guy that he, you know, he wrote about in this book. It's like down to a, down to a T. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my, my thinking is I just kind of like to see where things go. Um, and, and, uh, I'm interested in people generally. Like I, I've, I talk, I've, I've talked to people, this is a weird thing now. I'm sorry to get off on myself. No, not, it, not, I'm not just apologizing you, but, uh, to my audience. Oh, right on. Sorry. Whoever it is too, because they're not necessarily here for me, but you talk about Joe, meeting Joan Jett being afraid. Well, back in the nineties, I went to the Lilith fair with my ex-wife and standing next to us on, in the second stage was Emmy Lou Harris. Uh, and I, I saw her and I'm like, oh my God, that's Emmy Lou Harris. I said to my ex-wife, she goes, well, say hi. I'm like, no, no, I'm not saying hi to her. Uh -uh. And, and then around the turn of the century, I decided that once the internet became a thing, I decided to start writing and I started interviewing people. And uh, oddly enough, one of the first people I interviewed was Jesse Mallon and him and I have become close over the years, but I've interviewed, I don't know how many hundreds of people by this point, you know, and uh, I have this weird dichotomy between being very antisocial and nervous around people, but able to be, do this for yeah. some reason, Yeah, you know, and um, it, it, it's, it's, it's helpful for me, I think, because I'm not as bad as I used to be as <laughs> being awkwardly social, but I'm still not great. Um, <laughs> it's funny you say that. I feel that way about me. And then when I go on stage, I, they're like, you just seem like such a badass, wild woman. I'm like, oh no, I'm pretty shy and introverted. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird how that is, right? I've heard other people just describe going on stage, and and it's like a transformation. Yeah. Why? Why? What? What do you think it is about uh, going on stage that that either pushes that part of you out out of the way temporarily? I mean, is I don't know. Have, how much have you thought about that aspect where you are able to go on stage and perform to upwards of 25,000 people, but then are nervous around people outside of the stage? You have to like lose a, an entire section of your brain yeah. <laughs> when you go out there because the thinking shuts off for me, which is what's so glorious about it. And I don't do it consciously. It just happens when I get on stage and the type of music we just wrote naturally yeah. brought us to that place. And I just want to, like, I, I always say this, I'm like, I hate to sweat. Since I was a kid, I'd be like, I don't want to do anything that's going to make me sweat. I just hate sweating. I'm not a sweater. Like, I I hate it. But yet, like, I'll do a workout. And if, if, I, if I stay consistent with it, it's only because I don't even know I'm sweating. And that's uh, what stage does for me. I get on stage and I instantly know I'm in love and doing the thing I love is I am such a big wet ball of sweat at the end of it. And I go, I just, something breaks loose in you that is like all sense of right and wrong morality or like, I just grab people. I mean, I don't know if you've seen some of our, I just pick people up. I don't even know what's going on in me. You know, like I just, something turns off or yeah, something turns, turns on yeah. or both. But I, I love yeah. it. like that. I miss that because I, I was saying that I said I'm a little worried about not playing shows and how long I can go without that, without that feeling or that freedom of yeah. getting there and and doing that. You get lost in it. Like anytime yeah. you you probably are in a an interview you like or you're writing something you love. There's moments where you get lost and and like when I'm writing sometimes that happens. But for me, when I get on stage, it always happens. So that's yeah. a rare experience. I think is just as a person to have something like that. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people suffer stage fright and, and things. And, 
and it takes a it takes them a lot to for them to get up on a stage and some people abandon touring um uh, like uh, what is it Andy Partridge from XTC I mean he he couldn't deal with going on stage anymore so XTC just stopped touring completely it's like you know it's, yeah it's yeah. like you know I, mean, I definitely go through it before I go on stage I've never gotten to the point where I'm like yeah i i'm completely calm like i do go into fight or flight like it's it but i think i've accepted it as part of it at this point like it's just yeah. part of it but once i'm up there it's gone it's yeah. only the anticipation of it and then when it's actually happening i'm fine yeah yeah I, I, things, actually. I have the same thing with interviewing five minutes before the interview starts i'm like I can't do this. I, I know, how do I get out of it? I'm going to cancel. And, and then I'm like, well, why would you take the time to set this up if you want the, if you're just going to, can and if you cancel too many people, it's not going to look good. Like, so I have, to fight, I have to fight with myself all the time. About, you're not alone. Yeah. No. no, I know. I know I'm not, you know, it's like, uh, it's just, it's a weird instinct. It's, it's a weird, and you know, and I've done my, share of soul searching i know where a lot of that comes from um you know and i that's one thing i've tried to work on as an adult and everything so it's like you know just like you said about growth and and figuring out the next thing to do in your life and, and to reach that goal basically and you know part of mine is to conquer certain fears uh, basically yeah um well, let me, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because I know we're close to an hour already, but, um, you know, we were, I think I got, got us off track. Uh, and you mentioned briefly um, working with little Steven um, and you've, uh, you mentioned writing with him and everything. I, how, how does that, how has that relationship grown over the years? Oh, he's somebody I just instantly had a strong affection for when I started, the first time we started talking. Um, and he's always treated me like family. Yeah. And, and it felt, it never felt uncomfortable or weird or that he wanted something from me. I'm, I'm pretty intuitive with people and he always felt safe and like home. So he's like one of those people I feel like is, you know, I feel like I've known before at some point. Um, uh, He's just, he's how, that's how we met. And I feel like he had the same affection for me. He wanted to help me. He wanted to encourage me as an artist. I remember one, his, his coolest song of the year in 2016, of 2016, I think it was, was our song Electrocutioner. I remember he called me, he's like, I wish I wrote that one with you. And I was like, that's the one I came to you when you had just finished Darlene Love's record. And I came, I just happened to stop by the studio that day because I was in New York for a passport or something. And, and he, he, I told him, I said, we're writing a song now you would love. And he said, all right, well, why haven't you finished it? Why haven't I heard it? And I said, because I, I, Travis sent me the music and it's so good. I can't think of a melody to it. And that like, it never happens. He goes, well, go home and finish it tonight. And when Steven Van Zandt says, go home and finish it tonight, you go home because I was going next day to see to the Darlene Love listening party at his at his studio. So yeah. I was like, I can't go back and be like, I didn't finish it. So yeah, I went yeah. that night, I finished it. I wrote it, finished it. And next day I was like, finish the song. And he was like, good. You know, it wasn't a big yeah. deal to him, but it was like, like nobody has that, can say that to me and make me do that, but him, yeah. you know what I mean? So, so there's always been that, but then, you know, when he signed us and at the end of, uh, I guess it was the end of 16, he signed our back catalog and then he signed us to do a new record and he came in the studio and pro uh, wrote Why for us. And I, um, we did that and he produced it and then he produced Wow, the cover of the uh, Third Eye Girl, the Prince band yeah. song. And he was just always so patient with the band and respectful and considerate. And um, and he, he always said to me, you know, uh, Zuzu, the song will tell you what it needs. You just got to listen. Yeah. What kind of mystical stuff is that? But then <laughs> that was 2017 and now I understand after going to the studio in 20, I'm like, it does. It says, you know, you hear, if you really listen, you can hear what the song needs and it's not, it's not opinion even. It just kind of comes to you. And I, yeah. so I, I, he's been my mentor. Um, when we wrote together, I, I felt like I could be honest with him. 
we co-wrote Still I Rise together. We had gone in and uh, I had written a song called I Am Rise. And he's like, this isn't a single, you gotta top your last stuff. And so he took it and he reworked it. And we brought it to the bare bones basic of like, it was a song about Maya Angelou's Still I Rise poem. And I didn't wanna call it Still I Rise. I didn't wanna like rip off Maya Angelou. And he's like, why not? It's a good, it's a good title. You're not writing your poem. And I was like, that's true. Um, and that was the summer that Charlottesville happened when we wrote that. So I, so we co-wrote it together in his office and uh, within a few hours. And then we went and he showed the band some stuff like what it was and took it from there. So I feel like it's grown in terms of like, as I started out being an admirer and feeling like connected to him and, and listening to what he asked me to do to, um, you know, trusting him more in terms of sharing artistically what I really thought. And he was always open to it. And, you know, he's, he's, he's not only encouraged the band, he's been a fan of the band. He's given us opportunities we wouldn't have had before. Um, he's necessary in an artist's life. That's why it's like, once that's done for you, you want to do it for someone else. And when you have the capability to do it, you know, and he's always been honest with me. So it's a relationship that's kind of taught me what a good relationship is, you know? So he's been like a father, a brother, a friend, a producer, a co-writer, a mentor. He's worn many hats in my life. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. I, I, um, yeah, my, I've really grown to appreciate him a different way. I'm admittedly not the biggest Springsteen fan. Um, you know, and so that, that, you know, but I've always known little Steven. I think the first time I really knew who little Steven was, was when he did, and this is going back, this is when he left, uh, the East Street Band and he did, um, the song to, uh, not play in Sun City, South yeah. Africa. Yeah. And that was, I think the first time I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not remembering that wrong, but he was the main catalyst of that. Um, yeah. Um, that was probably the first time and I'm like, you know, that's because since the sixties, there's been political songs, but you know, to have a song come out in the eighties, that was that political, you know, was really wild. And I, he was way ahead of the curve, uh, the curve, I mean, um, on, on, uh, addressing apartheid in South Africa in particular. And, um, you know, so I've always kind of, and then, you know, Silvio on The Sopranos, which I'm rewatching. I'm kind of like in a whole little Steven like thing right right at the moment, it seems. So uh, it's fascinating to be able to get to talk to people that have been on this label. Yeah. Um, because it's like I'm talking around little Steven a lot uh, all yeah. of a sudden. Um, but yeah, his, his taste in music, I think, is fascinating. And I think that says a lot about the label and the people that he, he signs. I do too. I think he's always, he, he, the first meeting we ever had, he heard a song of mine. Uh, this producer I was working with, who worked with Bon Jovi, uh, Steven showed up at a Bon, oh, oh, showed up at a Bon Jovi show. So this was 2010. And our producer gave him the song that I co-wrote called Runaround at the time. And it was, if you ever heard Gloria, well, of course you've heard Gloria. It was a lot yeah. like that uh, musically, but obviously the song was about something else. Um, and he, he gave it to Steven and Steven said, he goes, I think this would be right up your alley, which I didn't even know Steven had a radio station at this point. I just knew him as yeah. Silvio and I knew he played with the East Street Band and you know, I, his, his legacy had come before him, but I wasn't very familiar with his involvement in rock and roll's lifeline <laughs> like so right. much. And uh, so I was like, sure, you know, like he gave it to him and he said, and Steven had said to him, like, if I don't call you, it's nothing personal. It's not that she's bad. It's just not my thing. And, you know, like the next day he called our producer and Steven probably still doesn't know this, but our producer put him on speakerphone and I, I listened, he called, dialed me on another, anyway, it was complicated. I heard the whole <laughs> conversation, which was completely wrong, but I did. And he was just like, who is this? And is she, does she want this as a career? Or is this just like a one-off thing or Anyway, I went and met him like a few days later at his studio at Renegade and uh, and I didn't know what he wanted. I didn't know why I was there at all. And I, yeah. I, and he just started, he, he spent three hours with me just talking to me about what do I really want. And he watched our videos on, on, on a screen with me and he's like, this is very different than your other stuff. Like you're, you don't seem to have a, you, you seem to have very musical 
um, you don't fit anywhere. And I was like, right. just write, you know, what we write and we just are riff based, you know, we, uh, Travis writes a riff and I sing something to it and we build a song from that. And uh, he's like, if you write more songs like this one, I'd like to hear them. And that started our relationship. But he, he told me about like European audiences versus, Amer versus American audiences and how they're different, uh, how they are with albums versus songs. Um, I learned a lot and I, the whole time I had this running back thought that was like, why am I here? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't really know what I'm doing here. Yeah. And, you know, um, he didn't sign me that. I mean, I ended up working with John Bon Jovi after that for like three years. And then um, uh, Steven came like right after that ended, he showed up at a show of mine in New York and he produced a live show for us over a month period of time. And we did that. And then he signed us about a year later. Yeah. Um, but he was interested in my writing. So he took an interest in me pretty early and you know, I kept sending him ideas and things we were doing and I just stayed in touch and not out of like feeling like, you know, uh, I feel like a lot of relationships before with me were like this person can do something for me. It was weird. And then those relationships fell away and I met people like Steven and they just were naturally what they were. Nobody yeah. forced anything. And, and it's, uh, I feel like that's who I was supposed to be with from the beginning. You know what I mean? Like he's, even now, like, you know, he let us go in. He, he hears our stuff. He gives us production notes and we go in and he's not there, you know, and we, yeah. anytime he, he gives us production notes, the song is like a million times better. So it's, it works. Like he, he lets us be the artists we are, but he also guides us. He tells us what, you know, what our consistent maybe blocks are. And he says it in a kind and loving way, which is, I haven't met a lot of that. So yeah. Well, that's the that's the general consensus I've gotten on him is that he's he, he's a guiding spirit and a helpful one, not a uh, not a negative force in, in anyone's life. And that's rare for any record label, even on the smaller side, like, you know, like his is, you know, it's just it's a rare thing. And it's it's a, another reason why I've had I've, I've had a blossoming and admiration for him over the last several years, because I keep hearing positive you know, things about his guidance. You know, and he, he really like, not to like bolster it up or anything, but he's really an outspoken advocate for rock and roll aside from humanitarian causes. Yeah. He's always, he's always been for the underdog, it seems to me. And also um, for when they have something to say, um, he's always looked at people equally. He's treated people exactly the same in my, in my experience of him, but he's a hardcore fighter for rock and roll. Like he doesn't want the roots of rock and roll to go away. And I don't, I don't know who else is doing, I think like maybe Jack White's doing that a bit with his, his label. I'm trying to think of other labels that I think that are actually like really built on the integrity of where rock and roll came from yeah. as contributing to where it's going. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Even I think it's necessary to have, to have these people because I, in, in my opinion, because there are, there's a lot of there's a lot of rock bands out there. I'm not I'm not saying rock is dead. I'm not saying that at all. But um, I think we've entered a phase where rock is fast approaching jazz. As far as uh, you're gonna find, there's an audience for it, but it's it, it's might not be the same thing it used to be. Um, and it, I don't know what it takes for rock to get. Um, uh, to grab hold and become a, a cultural force again. And maybe it doesn't, maybe these things are, are cyclical, you know, and maybe it'll always be a form that we, we know of and it'll have its people out there like you guys or, or whoever comes, comes up next that, that keep putting it out there. And, and maybe it's just a thing that we, you know, that gets appreciated on a certain level, but, you know, pop is maybe the you know what it is you know pop will be the art but who knows people have got to get tired of, of hearing the same style of pop music i mean i feel like every nothing's changed much since you know britney spears and backstreet boys in the late 90s i feel like it's all basically the same it just do you know but then people could say that about rock i guess too i don't know <laughs> well i think I it's cool i mean i think it always depends on what i'm I, for me it's like whatever i'm attached attracted to at that time, I think is probably based my reality rather than what reality really is. Yeah. I, 
think that rock is just doing like I, I see bands like the struts coming around even even though they've gone like I think they're still melodic but they have rock elements to them and like and I just I think they're a rock band at heart you know what yeah. I mean so I go like but then again that's just my again sphere of influence I know that people are really into them and a lot of reminders of the, the look of Queen and uh, the vibe of Queen and but at the same time like I think that if people didn't know those bands or admire those bands, where would we be now? So, or where would yeah. bands like that be now? So it's like, yeah. you know, I, I'm always hopeful for all that. And I always think no matter what rock is that fighting spirit like that, it's not going to go away. That's for sure. No, I, I don't, like I said, I don't think it's going to go away. I just, uh, I, I, I wonder about it's, it's, uh, it, the impact on, it, it's been interesting because the internet has really ground things into certain corners and it's it's allowed a lot more people to be heard yeah but there's also not that seismic shift of something new culturally with regards to music that seems to come out and it but it always i mean there is there are people that come out of nowhere it's just um you know, there's there's not that scene thing, you know, like the yeah, yeah, yeah. like what you know, whatever, like British invasion or the Seattle grunge thing or yeah. There's it, there's nowhere for it to bubble up because it just it it's always everywhere. Everything's always everywhere now. Yeah. You know, it's like it, if it exists, it's you can find it. Maybe more people get onto it as time goes on, but um, I don't know. I still haven't quite figured out my my thought process on this whole thing. <laughs> Neither. It's a good place yeah. to be, probably. You like rock. Yeah. That's what matters. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I, I, I figure that's a good good place to end. I think we ended on a positive note. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Um, and I really wish you guys the best of luck and hope to see you uh, perform either live stream or live uh, in the near future. Um, make sure you guys stay safe. Okay. Yeah. You too. Take care of yourself, Brett. All right. Take care. Thank you again. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye.